Voice of Industries. Voice of Industries. Maxime, welcome to Voice of Industries. I'm very happy to have you today to discuss about a hot topic, uh, which is uh, circularity. And more particularly, uh, to talk about how to implement uh, circularity in the industry. So first, could you introduce yourself and your company, uh, Hongi? Thanks, Mathieu. Thanks for having me. So I'm Maxime Kejeli. I'm an engineer. Uh, I worked uh, 23 years in a petrochemical company, ExxonMobil, and I had global jobs managing plants, but also managing businesses in different parts of the world. Um, in 2020, we launched this project, Rongi Solution, which is taking care of two aspects related to climate change. Um, the first one is to adapt the world to climate, and the second one is to reduce the emissions of greenhouse gases. Our clients are typically industries, um, big and small, located in different parts of the world, and we accompany them on their, on their journey to become more resilient uh, compared to climate, and also to reduce their impact on the environment. Could you explain us in a few words uh, what is the principle of circularity and more particularly in the industrial context? That's a, a great, great question and great way to, to kick it off. It's not totally different from anything about when we think about the circular economy in general. The, circular, the circularity and the circular economy concept has been brought against the linear economy, which is take, make, waste. And you try to basically close more loops. There is a very good representation of this that you can very easily find on the internet, which is called the butterfly diagram from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, that actually starts to put a theory around what circular economy is. And as an industry, you can really have a look at that and, and wonder, oh, which of these concepts can I apply? So the, the first thing that I want to highlight, which is critical for petrochemical industries, but for all industries that I know, is that there are two major dimensions, energy and matter. So you can think about the way you are powering your plant and you are heating the materials and you are transforming them. That's the energy part, but also the raw materials themselves. And circularity can come in two ways. So I'll give very practical examples of what circularity is in the industry and, and some of which I've actually experienced in plants. You can think about returnable packaging. How can you have, rather than to have crates that will actually be destroyed, burnt, landfilled when you are in the US, how can you actually work with your customers? And I've been working mostly B2Bs, work with your customers so that you can transport your parts or your raw material in returnable packaging. And you can think about lots of integration with the local ecosystem too, in terms of reusing somebody's wastes um, and making your waste a mine for me a mine of opportunity is something that is key to circularity. So you can really think about, on the energy side, about heat integration, for instance. Lots of industries have low quality heat, too low heat, uh, that cannot be used anymore for somebody's process, that you can actually reuse in your own process because it will satisfy a need that you, that you have. Circularity is currently a trendy concept. Uh, we hear about it uh, in many, many occasions, but what can be the benefit uh, of adopting a circular approach for the industry? I think it's not really different from any other things that the industry try to do to, 
basically become more efficient. I think that through circularity, you become more efficient and you can touch upon all the other benefits that you can think about when you're increasing efficiency of a process over an overall business. The first one that comes to mind to anyone running a business is cost savings. Typically, wastes or um, reused material will lower your costs. If you don't need typically reusing an equipment rather than rebuilding it, will be very, very beneficial from a cost standpoint. A returnable crate is an investment, but the investment will pay off. And there are countless studies that shows this. Back at home, uh, thinking about returnable uh, bottles, for instance, for mineral water is a very good way. Recycling bottles is a very good way to actually minimize the costs all across the value chain to the consumer's benefits and to the producer's benefits. So I would say the first thing is really cost. Wastes are typically distressed. Waste is a cost to someone and can become actually a supply or an opportunity for me. So there's something that someone is ready to pay for, to pay for uh, elimination that will actually come into my income statement as a benefit. The second one which is closely related is GHG savings, uh, greenhouse gas reductions. Lots of companies are engaged in two trajectories. And what you see is that when you reuse a material, when you use a material better, when you are doing heat integration, when you are um, basically collecting, connecting better with the environment around you, you will reduce your emissions. It typically costs less to, back to my crate example, which is one that I've, I've really uh, used a lot in, in, in my career, in elastomers. Um, Cleaning a metal crate costs you very little and emits very, very little uh, greenhouse gas. Building a new crate, whether it's actually wood, plastic or metal, doesn't really change. There are different uh, gradations of how much that will cost you or how it will impact the environment, but it will always be at least a couple of orders of magnitude higher. Now, I, I think we've all lived through um, between COVID and other dimensions we have witnessed now, we had forgotten this for the last 50 years, what empty shelves look like. Um, and there's a dimension of scarcity that is becoming more uh, pregnant into more, more uh, visible in, in our daily lives. It's not different for industries. Lots of industries right now are struggling to find the raw material they need. There is a scarcity, there is a continued high demand there are some, and the fossil fuels, for instance, are a good example. They are becoming scarcer, harder to find. So minimizing them and reusing resources will always be a good way to increase your resilience. You will be more resilient, less dependent of supply of virgin material. So there are tremendous benefits to circularity to make a business which is actually sounder and stronger. And the third one is market differentiation. Customers want it. We are all sensitive to, to that. Whether it's a good idea or not, seeing that you are um, drinking from a bottle which is made from recycled material or that you are buying some stuff which can be actually recyclable, whether it's a good idea or not probably doesn't count. So I will not pass a judgment yet on this because it's very, very uh, case dependent. But in general, people are sensitive to that. So consumers are sensitive to that and lots of the value chain will be sensitive to that. And lots of the people that are important for running your business, including your employees, will be sensitive. So circularity brings tremendous co-benefits.
So, if I understand well, the question of benefit is not a question. There is benefit of being circular. So, why companies are not yet uh, implementing this kind of approach? And what are the challenges they are facing in order to move towards a more circular activity? So, that's, that's a good question because in, in general, there are lots of things that we see in, in the industry or our daily lives that we know are good ideas, but there is a kind of threshold. You need at some point to, you know, to decide to jump and, and to go after the change. I'm, I'm often talking about the management of no change. Or big organizations in general are very reluctant to change things. So there's an element of like, it's different, so I don't know how to tackle it. And I think that the main challenge in that case would be trust beyond transactional relationships. A linear economy is very simple. You write a contract with someone, you take the service or the good, and you're done with it. If you want to start to be more circularity, if you want to think about returning stuff, if you want to think about secondary streams and buying byproducts, all of a sudden, it's much harder to trust someone or to contractualize a, commit a commitment. So there's a question of trust and started to think beyond the transactional uh, operations. You know, I, I like when you buy new stuff on whatever platform that you can think about, it's very easy. You give your money and you get the product. When you think, you start to think in terms of circularity, um, economy of usage, you have to think very, very differently. And you have to trust your partner much more. So there's, there's a question there. And it's very important also if you want to engage into large investments. You know, I talked about the fact that you can, if you integrate heat, if you recover somebody's fatal heat that they can do nothing about, which is actually a problem for them because they want to, they have like hottish water that they don't know what to do with and they need to bring back into the river and there is a mandate for them not to bring it back into the river above a certain temperature, actually for you, reusing these calories and implementing uh, some heat pumps for it will be very beneficial. But you need to engage with them to understand whether, you know, if you start to engage into investments for a heat pump, you want to know whether the source of energy that you, that you want to use and that you want to tap into will actually be available in 5, 10 or 20 years. So you need to build this relationship so that you can you can uh, you you can start to to think in terms of collaboration in the long term, and this is a very hard nut to crack. Um, so that's more on the energy side. One of the things that I'm thinking about in terms of um, of materials is traceability. Um, you know, when you want to reuse a part, it's better to use um, rather than to buy a new electric motor for a plant, or to buy a new compressor. You have actually plants that are dismantled. You have overstock, dormant material in all plants that I know in the world, where you have spare parts that are spare parts of nothing because you have actually dismantled your plant. Thinking that you can reuse these types of equipment is, is, a, is a great idea. And I know some companies that are, that are doing that. Um, but how will you know like how this engine, this part has been used in the past. How will you trace its life so that you can know that it's a second-hand part that you can actually trust for the long run? When you go and bring your car for repair, now you have an option to select whether you want uh, OEM, original manufacturer equipment, or second-hand parts. 
And there's a whole industry, and I visited car dismantling industries in the US and in China, by the way, that are dismantling uh, crashed cars to get some of the parts like engines or any sort of functional part in the car back into the second-hand system. You want to have some traceability. I'm not sure that, especially for critical parts of equipment, it's very easy for any part, uh, for any leader in the industry to trust the part if they don't know where it's coming from. It will be the same thing if you want to recycle material, if you want to use a downgrade of someone or a byproduct or a product which is off-spec. We've all lived through ISO 9001. We only produce to perfection and we try to increase perfection. And we try to get only right first-time products. But we know that there is a gray zone where you produce materials that would be actually good enough for lots of applications. But how good are they is sometimes hard to feel. Meeting the spec is very easy. A loyal and merchant product is what you call it, uh, like when you are talking about gasoline, for instance. It means that it meets the spec. But if you have this grayish material, how do you actually open up and start to manage data that are much less precise and, and digital than a pass-fail kind of test? So there's a, there's a lot of, uh, of this into that. So you just mentioned traceability uh, of materials, typically, or equipments. Uh, can you explain a bit more on that? But also, um, what I understand, it's, it introduced a concept of a kind of uh, identification a card with many data about the equipment or the raw material that is very specific to this one, uh, including its traceability. Yeah. So the one who will use this byproduct or this second-hand uh, equipment has all the information necessary to be able to take his decision, but also to know the value of what he's purchasing and so to, to in introduce the trust you mentioned. Yeah. So how do you see that and, uh, in terms of traceability uh, and relationship between the different actors of, uh, within a circular uh, economy system? So there is a need for alignment. There is a need for, I, I mentioned the, the need of trust. So it means also that all actors have to be ready and, and open with sharing the history of their electric motors, you know, or compressors. If I'm buying a compressor for my competitor on the same chemical platform, and is, I would need to see some of the process data that he had uh, for this particular part. Sharing that is, is a, big, uh, it's a big break or a big bridge into the traditional um, secrecy that there is in, a, in, a, in a, I would say, in the industry. And sometimes the data doesn't exist in the right shape or form. Can you have for a particular batch, for instance, a batch identity card where you'll be able to tell to your customer, this product is off spec. I'm producing constantly 5% of a spec product that I don't know what to do with. Today is going to waste. But do you have application where this could be good enough? I was a lot in the elastomers industry. Um, so elastomers, rubber, you're using them to do seals. You're selling to lots of different tier ones that are making car seals, window seals for the car industry, all these black rubber parts that there is in your car around the windscreen and where the, the windows goes up and down in, in, your, in your door. These are really like prime product. This is the A-class, you know, that's the, the top of the pops. You really want perfect rubber. But for some other parts that are hidden underneath, 
like um, chuck absorbers everywhere in the car or soundproof uh, soundproofing systems that you will develop, you don't really need a perfect aspect, for instance. But selling it will require actually uh, for this like low demand or lower demanding applications, a kind of batch identity card that one, the supplier will be okay to provide. And second, that the customer will be okay to accept. So if you take very practical examples about, about, about this, that's where traceability needs trust, uh, definition of standards. And today there are too many standards that exist and exchange of information still remains complicated between companies outside of the, yes, the product meets the spec kind of thing. So you mentioned all this challenge about sharing data all along the value chain. And one thing uh, I see in what you said is that, again, we come back to a, a systemic approach in that sense that uh, we should not think as individuals, like in our personal life, but collectively about what is the optimum uh, for the society and not only the company. Mm -hmm. um, so it impacts the value chain and the sharing of data along this value chain. And what are the, the key factors you think uh, we can work on to facilitate that? So, so I think we can work on, yeah, I, I mentioned before, alignment and openness, um, defining what are the key, uh, the key parameters and the key important factors that will actually uh, impact the downstream process is something that we can think about. Um, there are too few standards. There are not enough platforms for exchange of such data. Uh, that's something that's, that could actually be developed. You know, I produced a material which is kind of semi-on spec. Uh, where do I place it so that someone can actually say, well, it actually meets my need. I have a spare engine that I bought 25 years ago for my plant and it has run maybe five years on the plant because it was the backup engine and the engine, the other, the, the main engine had been placed basically 20 years, you know. Where, where do you actually put this sort of thing so that it can be used, uh, it can be used by others? Same thing will be true for waste, actually. So a lot of circularity is about reducing waste. What I see is that there's a tremendous work that needs to take place to, at a high level, organize and, and prioritize what you will do with wastes. Plastic waste is, you know, is front and center in the discussions today. Everybody wants to uh, get rid of plastic, but recognizing that plastic is a great packaging uh, material, we are still producing quite a lot. We want to do lots of things that can be seen as contradicting each other all along the chain. You want to make the material more recyclable directly, mechanical recycling, you take this eco cup and you transform it into an eco cup again. Um, but if it's not quite good enough, then it will become something that will be able to be recycled more chemically with advanced recycling. You will break the, the product apart and you will basically send it uh, to a refinery or steam cracker where you can make plastic again, but you will make also lots of fuels on the way. Or you can just use it as um, what we call the CSR in French, which is um, basically an aggregate of plastic that you can use as a combustible in a boiler to replace coal. So you are doing good for the environment because in the end you are recycling. So it's a question of circularity, but you take, you extract the last juice that there is into this material, which is not good enough, quite good enough to be recycled 
as such as an echo cup, uh, which also might have some parts that will not go so well into the advanced recycling process, but at least you recover its heat and replace coal. So you're doing good for the environment. How do you, you know, I, I think there's not enough data that exists and not enough good orders of magnitude that exist in the industry to be able to judge the size of the different reservoirs and their efficiency. Because we, are, we tend to work in silos. And I think that especially producers of plastic should have this holistic approach to say, my, and manage their products up to their end-of-life uh, responsibilities. In order to be very practical, could you give us one or two examples of successful uh, circular economy implementation at the industrial scale? So I think I will use just two very simple examples um, on, on top of the one that I mentioned before, which is this metallic crates. We use to ship rubber everywhere in the world in wood crates that will get lost or become uh, somebody's furniture if you're lucky, but basically essentially <laughs> be burned somewhere or landfilled in the US. There's a lot of landfilling of very useful materials. So, um, We converted basically most of the of the move of natural rubber to returnable crates. They are not lost. They are not lost packaging. And these crates will only be used for rubber, natural rubber or synthetic rubber alike. A lot of work is required in the in the value chain to line on like the size, because one of the key things to introduce more circular packaging, for instance, is to align on the size and the content and the specification so that you mutualize the effect of the fleet. If I need to own all the metallic crates that I need to ship my rubber, it's a much, much bigger investment and a much bigger drain on resource than if I mutualize it, for instance, with, uh, with uh, rubber compounders uh, that will use these crates also to ship their compound to the tire manufacturers. So in the end, you know, I will, I will basically get my, uh, my synthetic, I will ship my synthetic rubber to, to a compounder in a metallic crate. It will make the compound with carbon black and ship this crate to the tire manufacturer. And I will collect my crate or somebody else's crates back from the tire manufacturer. So that gives you a good idea that you start to work in triangles and this more than two person's relationship are much more complicated to handle. So that's one example. Another example that I can give is heat integration. There are lots of plants in the world that are struggling with fatal heat. They don't know what to do with this 40 degrees, 50 degrees heat, and they have to integrate. And these projects can take a long, long time. In the port of, I will give two uh, Dutch examples, in the port of Rotterdam. In the, in the port of Rotterdam, it took years to integrate fatal heat with the district heating, basically powering homes with reuse of fatal heat. You didn't know what to do with the fatal heat before. It was a concern to actually release it in the sea and damaging the environment. There were actually more calories that could be reused to heat homes. And it has a direct beneficial effect for the environment because less gas will be consumed by these homes that are actually heated by the remains of heat from the refinery. The second one is great in terms of inclusion and societal aspects, because it makes the industry much more attractive. When an industry says, you know what, you don't quite like, I mean, I'm the same. I, I like the, the pictures of refineries, not so much living very close to them. 
Um, but if I realize that this industry is actually providing for free heating, <laughs> that's a whole different ballgame. So this, this exists, this project exists. Um, I'm thinking also about heat integration of, um, in uh, the harbor of Mordek, where the district heating is actually coming from, um, is actually coming from an, um, food processing that has heat remains that can actually be used by other industries that just need tank heating. You typically heat tank with either electric coils or steam or hot water. Here you are heating it with basically byproducts of the agricultural industry. There's a, and, and there is a, we have a neighbor here, it's called Chaos. It's a company that's actually a platform that connects the dormant inventories of spare parts with people who have a need. I was a maintenance manager in 2000 and, um, between 2010 and 2012 in Rotterdam. And I remember we had to buy some parts on eBay because we couldn't find them anywhere else. We had still process running with 20, 25 years old computers that you couldn't find the motherboards of. So we were, we were basically buying all these spare parts because the industry, you know, when, when an industry designs a project for 20 years, it's quite likely it will live for 40. And it's quite likely that people actually have dormant stocks somewhere of spare parts that you could actually reuse. And so platforms like this one, for instance, are, are designed to connect people who have excess inventory with people who have a need. And when you want to run a plant, you really have a dire need of finding these spare parts. Very interesting uh, examples of circularity and very uh, concrete, very uh, real ones. So this is uh, clearly something that can work. Uh, to conclude, can you give some recommendations for an industrial that would like to uh, go towards a, a circular organization of his, uh, its industrial activities? So... That's a, that's, a, that's a great question because that's typically what our clients ask. Um, that's a good start of a conversation. The first thing is like, think local. I think there's a lot of emphasis that needs to be put into the local ecosystems and the territory uh, management of circularity. Have a look around. You can see that the emergence of um, ZBAC in French, the low carbon industrial zones, for instance, is a great way to push industries to work together collectively on heat and raw materials integration. Think local first. Everything that you can reuse in your local vicinity that can be uh, actually brought back into your, into your own process is much easier to work than working circularity with someone that is 10,000 miles away. So there is an element of simplicity around this, which is quite good. Think local, it creates local champions. So that's something that I think they should do. The second is really embrace a value chain approach. S stop thinking that all solutions come from within. Uh, think about involving your suppliers and your consumers in designing the solutions, in trying to find more circular approaches. I mean, from the examples that I give, it, 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 takes, it takes at least two to tango, sometimes three, uh, where you need to collaborate, you need to exchange data, you need to open up a little bit to show actually the history of a material before you can actually uh, upcycle it. So working with your value chain and making sure that you have a value chain approach away from a transactional linear approach is, is key to the, to the success. 
Now uh, I talked about management of no change. I mean, be ready for change. Embrace it. It's uh, it's something that you know. It's it's more a behavior uh, work that companies have to do of of doing things, and from that. Thinking local and trying small steps is probably a very good way to find this proof of concept and the little projects that will actually lead to more profound changes. So, yeah, be ready for change. And I would say maybe my last comment about this change is like uh, I've seen people very reluctant to change, but I've always encouraged them to have a look at the cost of inaction. If you don't do it, and your competitor is doing it, you might be losing ground. If you don't do it and your resource becomes scarce, you might be left with the empty shelf syndrome. You might not be able to supply your customers. So yeah, some sources are harder to find, but think long term and think pro prospectively on these circular resources, just a way to get more resilient. Thank you, Maxime, for sharing this very valuable experience on a very practical approach of circular economy. And I, I hope and that the industrial listening to us uh, will engage into developing their ecosystem and uh, implement uh, the circularity in their industrial operations. Thanks, Mathieu, for having me. <laughs>